0: Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, FlowHealth, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A
1: slash decoder. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel. We're doing something a little different this week. We are going to take the week off for Thanksgiving, but instead, we're going to run an episode of the new podcast On with Kara Swisher. You might remember Kara. She used to host Recode Decode, which became Decoder. She's got a new show. It's called On with Kara Swisher. It's part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, it's with New York Magazine. It's great. This episode is Kara's interview with Chris Licht. He's the new CEO of CNN. Chris got that job to replace Jeff Zucker, who was pushed out when Warner Brothers merged with Discovery. Chris had to shut down CNN+. He's in the middle of layoffs now. This episode feels right in the strike zone for Decoder, so we thought you'd all enjoy listening to it. Okay, here we go. On with Kara Swisher, Chris Licht, CEO of CNN.
2: It's on! Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is CNN Primetime with 100% less Jake Tapper. Just kidding. This is On with
3: Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Nay Raza, and that's kind of me and Kara. He's not on mm. Primetime anymore. No, that's right. That's right. He's come back to 4 o'clock. So CNN Primetime has 100% less Jake Tapper Less a lot days. of people. A lot, less a lot of people. They need to hire people. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our yeah. guest, CNN CEO, Chris Licht. It's very exciting. He has been doing many interviews. This is, I think, his first big one. Yeah, it is. It's, um, he's an interesting character, and he's taken over
2: in hard times, and from a very compelling former leader, Jeff Zucker, who was sort of frog-marched out of the place because of personal issues. Frog-marched. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Before we get there, I want to talk about another news anchor at another network, Kerry Lake. The AP is called the Arizona governor's race for Hobbs with 98 percent reporting. I think Kerry Lake's loss for the Arizona governor's seat is really important because it signals that Americans are saying no to punching down and disinformation. Have you become Pollyannish? No, I just think the voters are smarter than we are. They just are. They always are. I believe in voters. And I think everyone, you know, uh, hand-wringing on Twitter
3: or in cable news or wherever, I-, I think they don't know how people really are. At the time we're recording, she still has 49.6% of the vote. So you believe so, in everybody but 49.6% of the voters? Are you
2: not being optimistic? No, I believe they wanted to vote for her. No, I'm not because she didn't win. And I think she was supposed to win by quite a lot. I mean, Hobbs was not a compelling candidate. I'll give no, you that. No, She was not. She was not. And nonetheless, she's now governor of Arizona. I think what, what didn't work was she was punching down. When she did that McCain thing, mm-hmm. saying, who's here for McCain? Get out of here. I thought you're finished. You yeah. never say, you take every vote. If they're there to see you, they might vote for
3: you. That was, that was the moment I knew she was going to lose. She took on the McCain's. And I think you're right. That's the Achilles heel for her because this is McCain land. And she's just, you know, I think she just rejected people. That's what it was. Well, Arizona overall rejected most of their Republicans, I think. Mm -hmm. But is she really gone? Because, yeah, yeah, she tweeted, Arizonians know BS when they see it, which is basically intimating foul play. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I said?
2: Yes, they do. Yes,
3: they do. (laughs) I mean, <laughs> she walked into that. Donald Trump on Truth Social wrote, wow, they just took the election from Kerry Lake. It's really bad out there. Yeah. Oh, Donald Trump. You know what?
2: You're only close in horseshoes. So I don't know what to tell you.
3: A lot of the reporting I'm reading is saying, oh, Republicans, they've really learned the lesson and they can't double down on Trump. They can't double down on election denial. Have they really learned the lesson or no. is this the beginning of more disinformation? They'll, I'll see. It will be interesting to
2: see tonight. You know, we've taping this when Trump is supposed to announce. We'll see if he keeps on the disinformation thing. I don't think it works. I don't think it's a winning formula. I think people are mostly like, you know, people who like elections are like, shut up. And people who believe it are like, OK, mm-hmm. I'm not going to vote. It's stupid. He should move
3: along. He needs to move along and get back to, you know, his basic punching down that works a lot better. People are sick of it. I think it's a level of of disinformation that people won't put up with. But Here's the level of disinformation that I have seen all of my social media put up with. I am very irked Irked. today. You are. You called me irked. I did call you irked Mm -hmm. because my social media this week has been flooded with these reports. They are fake reports that 15,000 people are going to be executed in Iran. In the last Mm -hmm. 12 hours, I've gotten over 300 emails because I guess I'm on a list of journalists who cover the Middle East or Mm -hmm. Middle Eastern journalists or something. Mm -hmm. And there's basically like a chain mail get the attention of journalists. And let me just say, what's happening in Iran is horrific. People Mm -hmm. are protesting. The Iranian government is oppressive. It can be ruthless. But the facts do not support this. And I really, I think this is really dangerous because you want to talk about the horrific shit that's happening, not the horrific stuff that hasn't happened yet. It's believable, but it hasn't happened. So who was sharing this? It was like, Like, why aren't you writing about this? Who's sharing it? Yeah, because it's it's some of the stuff saying Iran is sentencing 15,000 people to death, and I haven't seen an ounce of coverage anywhere. And they tell people what to do. They say, write to reporters, tell them this, tell them that. So who's sharing it? Yeah. Justin Trudeau tweeted it. Uh, He's since deleted the tweet, but he wrote, Canada denounces the Iranian regime's barbaric decision to impose the death penalty on nearly 15,000 protesters. The tweet was deleted after 12 hours. A little too quick with the tweet, Justin. Yeah. A little too fast. A little too fast, Justin Trudeau. Get your fingers off the keyboard, essentially, (laughs) your thumbs. But here's the thing. But celebrities like Sophie Turner shared it within those 12 hours. Someone you loved shared it. Who? Viola Davis.
2: Oh, did she? Oh,
3: wow. I love that that's what gets you.
2: Uh, You know, people make mistakes and see things and then do the instant tweet.
3: And Ian Bremer, the head of the Eurasia Group, tweeted this. Monday, he said, Iran parliament votes overwhelmingly to execute 14,000 arrested protesters. Yeah. Half a day later, he did a slight walk back. He said, to be clear, judiciary hands down the actual sentencing. 36,000 people liked the first tweet. 800 liked the second. That wasn't good. I reached out to the Eurasia Group for comment earlier today. Mm-hmm. Shortly afterwards, Ian deleted the tweet. Oh. He acknowledged that the previous post was unverifiable and likely untrue, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. I think that is what you should do. Yeah. You got to say you made a mistake. I, I did this once. so I'm not going to go into detail, but I was like, I am wrong. I'm going
2: to leave it here to show I'm wrong. And I'm going to never take it down because I'm an idiot. I literally was like, sorry. Anyway, what are the actual facts?
3: Okay, the actual facts, uh, and I'm getting this from Shayan Sardarizadeh of the BBC, which I think is the best source on this yes. because it is very hard to get information in Iran. You
2: know, there's not many reporters there.
3: But here's what we know. Last week, 227 of 290 Iranian MPs called for justice. They said they wanted no lenience against protesters. Earlier this week, one unnamed protester was sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. That's the only known sentence we have at the time that we're recording this. We know Mm -hmm. further 1,000 protesters have been formally charged by the regime. Activists are saying there have been over 15,000 people arrested by the regime. I'm not sure if that's like cumulative Mm -hmm. or current or concurrent. And the last thing that we know, a fact, the Iranian regime is brutal. Yes, Hundreds of protesters, including over 50 children, which Farnaz Fasihi has written about for The New York Times, have been killed. Mm-hmm. Look, in 1988, we know that under Ayatollah Khomeini, the regime executed an unknown number of people, probably thousands. Right. So there. let me just say, Iran is bad enough as it is. So we don't need to add stuff. Yeah. We don't need to add stuff. But this is the age that we live in. And particularly in my demo, I think, Kara, like millennials, Gen Zers. I'm not a Gen Zer, but millennials, Gen Zers. I think there's this urgency to post and to participate in a social conversation because yeah. you want to feel like you, it feels meaningful. People want right. to feel like they're doing something important. Well, it's called hashtagism, right? hashtag yeah. I, I
2: think it's more important than ever to be have really good journalists on the ground. These kind of things are going to happen over and over again until we have really good journalists and people trust these institutions to bring
3: back the actual facts. Facts matter. Yeah, facts do matter. Um, Meta and Instagram are flagging these posts as false information. Twitter has done nothing. Well... Instagram doesn't take it down. They fuzz it, and then you can still click to see it. But Twitter, why yeah. aren't they doing anything? Because are you surprised? Because
2: he's busy tweeting about Sam Bankman-Fried. That's why. I don't know why. Because they've taken down all kinds of systems. They never were good in the
3: first place. Now they're
2: worse. That the blue was...
3: checks, I think, are making it hard. I, I wasn't like as anti-everybody mm-hmm. gets a blue check as you, but it's now really hard to sift through information. That's correct. So I was right. You were right on this. The citizen journalism, like everybody who can afford $8, mm-hmm. all of a sudden seems a verified source is challenging. But let's challenging. focus on the fact
2: that I was right. Um, <laughs> I am going to do a rant at the end of this about citizen journalism. It's something I think about a lot, which is something Elon tweeted about um, mm-hmm. in a way I didn't agree with.
3: Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. But we'll talk about that. Facts matter. Well, let's talk about that. But first, let's get into our interview today. It's Chris Licht, the chairman and CEO of CNN Worldwide. Yes, You've known him for a long time. You've come across him. I have. He came up to me at a New York Times event and he gave me his
2: card. I didn't know who he was. I'm like, thank you, fan person. Um, But he's a lovely and
3: very uh, he's very gentlemanly. I don't know how else to put it. He was the showrunner of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he has a long history. Before that, I think he was the EP of CBS This Morning and Morning Joe. So yeah, he's got a lot of history. putting on great shows he does he's
2: a showmaker he's not a manager per se that's a big difference and and of course he's right in the cauldron of politics and cable news. And so it's a very different than what he was making before. But, you know, he's uh, plopped into a, a merger and financial problems and the economy and cut layoffs and etc. So I want to sort of ask him, like, why are you doing this? Go back to Colbert <laughs> where everything the nice, the, the nice warm end of the pool. The, yeah, I wonder yeah.
3: if he feels good about this decision. Let's ask him. Let's, let's ask him. Let's then. ask him. He did leave Colbert when Discovery purchased Warner from AT&T. Yeah. And Jeff Zucker now no longer the helm of CNN, but so beloved when he was there. Beloved. Beloved. And still. Very tough shoes to come into. What's your big question for him? Oh, so many. He just conducted a town hall, so we'll start there, and talked about layoffs that he said weren't Mm going to happen, but apparently they're going to happen in December. So. We should also note that this is happening across the industry, across the economy, and CNN is not alone in this. Sure. A hundred percent. But- I think his problem is he said there weren't going
2: to be any, and he should—I I, I always tend, if I was managing that many people, yeah. I, if I didn't
3: absolutely know, I wouldn't say a word, you know. My big so. question is, is he the one that has the power here? Yes. Or was it David Zasloff? Or is it even John Malone on the board, who's a big mentor of David Zasloff? That's my big question. How much power does he actually have? Or yeah. is, he just, is he just following orders? Right. Well, that's a good question. Let's ask him. Okay. Find out also what, how they're going to cover Trump. Okay. When he runs. Anything else? Anything else in
2: the panoply? I've literally been called by a dozen CNN people since some they've somehow gotten on the CNN horn and they all know I'm interviewing them. So they all have a little contributions to make. So thank you, Steph, CNN,
3: for your questions. I've heard that the all hands was painful and a repetition of what people had heard already, unclear why they were sitting through it again. He, he sat there for it. So good for him. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with an interview with Chris Licht.
4: Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Debate time. Who gets more out of Wix Studio, designers or devs? First off, if you don't know about Wix Studio, it's a web platform offering the flexibility agencies and enterprises need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Now, back to the debate. Designers, you can create fully responsive websites, starting with a blank canvas or choose a template for any layout and tweak per pixel with your CSS. If no-code's your thing or you just like to move fast, there's also a ton of smart features, like native no-code animations and responsive AI that adjusts every breakpoint. Devs, Wix Studio offers a powerful suite of homegrown web APIs and REST APIs. Quickly integrate, extend, and write custom scripts in a VS code-based IDE alongside an AI code assistant. Designers or developers, search Wix Studio and find out for yourself.
1: Support for this podcast comes from HIMSS. It can be challenging for men to speak about their health, and whether that's a fear of being vulnerable or just wanting to keep things private, there are just some things we would just rather keep to ourselves. HIMSS knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need discreetly. Hims is a men's healthcare brand looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at himscom decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. himscom dot com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See himscom dot com slash decoder for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
2: Let's just dive in. You just came out of a town hall. Tell me what you perceive the mood as. I have been called by about 23 of people that work for you uh, and texted by another 400. Um, so what was the mood from your perspective?
5: In the town hall? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there were probably 3,200 people watching it and mm-hmm. probably 50 people in the room. Um, I think generally there's anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in the organization, which is completely understandable. Um, so the the hope of that town hall was just to talk to people and, and I didn't have a lot of specific answers because obviously that's not the forum to right. give specifics on that. But I think, um, in the absence of a, of hearing from me, uh, people get very, very anxious sure. and they, all they had was a, was an email about, uh, what's, what, it what was coming. And so that, the, I think the mood, uh, this is a group of people that can handle just about anything. They've proven that. They just want to be told the truth, and they, yeah. they, they just want to be um, spoken to. So hopefully that was it – felt, it felt good on, on my end. I don't know what you, you heard. Got,
2: you got um, pretty good reviews. I think people liked it. Um, so Alison Camerata did the interview uh, with you in front of everyone. And what I was told is she's like, I'm just going to read this. And one of the ones was, was this idea of how can we trust you? Um, and I think they were referring to in June when you told the staff, "quote, there were no layoffs per se." But a few weeks ago, you did announce layoffs. Now, let's be clear: uh, mm-hmm. uh, Vox Media is going to oh. have job cuts. Amazon is having job cuts, and that means everybody gets to have job cuts. So, did you know at the time? Did you not know? You didn't think these were coming, correct? Of course not.
5: No, of course not. And and remember, the the layoffs per se, and this again, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. Is is. Because we weren't part of the synergies of the combined companies. Right. We still aren't. So like, I if, if I'm being told that we are not part of the synergies of the combined companies, then we are not part of the coming layoffs that were happening this summer.
2: I, I have talked to a lot of people up and down the chain. I'm not just kidding. But one thing came through more than anything else, and this was at all levels, which I thought was interesting, is what is the vision? Can there be a vision in this new environment where things are changing so fast for news? And then- one person said, "We're rooting for him, but what is the plan? How do you think about those questions?" Uh,
5: look, that's the beauty of uh, of working with journalists. Like they want to know what's the plan. This is a group of people that will follow me to the end of the earth mm-hmm. if they believe I know what the hell I'm doing and that there's a plan. Um, and for me, I, and I articulated this today. I want to expand the global dominance of CNN Mm -hmm. by doing two things, right? Engaging the people who are already coming to us right? right? more, particularly on digital. Um, And then creating a nimble news organization um, that can weather any storm and not only survive, but thrive. And using that currency to attract new audiences. So, you know, we have the largest news gathering operation in the world, second to none. Um, And then how do we put that on television and online? Right. And uh, that's the programming part of it. And then really digital, creating a multimedia home to engage with people. As you know, we have the number one news website in the world. So if we have upwards of 180 million unique users, they come, they say, hi, thanks for the breaking news, and then they leave. And if we can get them to stay and engage and become vital in their life, and become more of a full service news and information leader, there's a tremendous upside for that.
2: Which hasn't been taken advantage of, I think.
5: Well, not, not only has it not been taken advantage of, but you know there was whiplash in the organization of digital, digital, di- oh, wait, wait, there's a CNN Plus and all of the bandwidth, resources, uh, people was pointed to launching CNN Plus. And that was at the expense of the core digital assets. So you have this thing that's number one in the world and completely neglected for the last two years. And that was one of the th- sort of shocking things when I when I got here to see that. So we have spent the last six months building the infrastructure so that my new chief digital officer can come in and really take this car that we have built and accelerate it.
2: I want to get to that specifically, CNN Plus, but Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, David Zaslav, who we both know, and Discovery CFO... Unar Weidenfels, who I do not know, have asked you to cut about hundred million dollars—a so lot of pressure. Tell me about navigating those demands to keep the trust of the newsroom, which is a big order here, um, and their trust because they're your bosses. Uh,
5: in answering this question, I don't want to—I I don't want to say that that hundred million is correct. Okay. So, is it correct? Regar- I'm not going to talk about any numbers, but I will tell you—it's reg- like
2: ninety-six. I'm going to find you. <laughs> Let me just tell you.
5: Um, regardless of the number. Um, the job is to, it's not a number. It is, what does it take to run CNN? What what does it take to run the company that we bought and love Mm -hmm. and strip away things that aren't core to our mission? And they may think it's this, I may think it's that. We will argue, we'll get to a point, right? So for me, it's all about fighting for the core asset that they have bought and love. Right. And they are entrusting me not to do anything to hit a certain number that is going to hurt the long-term growth of this business.
2: That said, David Zasloff is is staring down the gun of um, $50 billion in debt at the larger company, more than Elon Musk, for sure. Elon Musk has a better hand. Disney has a better hand. Um, And the CFO at CNN, the former Discovery guy who'd only been in the job about seven months, quit, apparently thought, the cuts were too big.
5: Not true. All right. Um, he, uh, no, let me just tell, tell you. Me. We're, we're being honest, right? Oh, I we're hope We're friends. So. Um, I don't know about that, but okay. okay we'll see <laughs> at the end of this. Um, he uh, he didn't want to move to the United States. I mean, that's you, you cannot be the CFO of CNN from London. And he didn't want to move to the United States.
2: I'm curious why you didn't figure out that he didn't want to move before hiring him, but that's probably not your responsibility. Maybe it is. Uh,
5: There's an answer for that That's uh, I'll I'll leave for him to tell
2: you. All right. Well, I'm not going to be talking to him. So let's (laughs) talk about your relationship with uh, David Zasloff. This is the head of Discovery. I know him a little bit and have talked to him many times. Um, He certainly has a a lot to handle, including this $50 billion in debt and a very fast-changing economic environment and a media environment. What is your relationship with him?
5: Uh, I have known him for 15 years. Um, he was a started as a mentor to me, um, and then as our relationship developed, uh, I think I turned into a sounding board for him. So um, we are. I would I would not call us like close friends, but we are friendly. And uh, I will say, my first day, he took me to lunch, and he said, "You know, we've been friends for a long time." I said, "I know," and he goes. We're not friends anymore,
2: <laughs> David Sazlov. You work for me. Yes, yeah. Uh, so that yeah. is
5: that is the relationship.
2: And when he was making the pitch for you to do this, which was a very, I thought it was a fascinating choice when I heard about it. What was the pitch to you to do it from him, and what convinced you?
5: Um, as you know, I had no intention of leaving my current job with Colbert. It was quite possibly the greatest job it's in the greatest world, greatest job ever, with the greatest person in the world. Why
2: are you leaving Italy? It's beautiful. The food is delicious.
5: Um, well, I am a journalist at heart. It is a calling. Uh, I know that sounds cheesy, but, uh, thank you. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was at Colbert, I would get job offers all the time and they would go in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. And this is the first thing that even stopped for a millisecond in my brain. And that is because, um, David had a vision for CNN and what it could be. And I said, Okay, I can execute that. We're on the same page here if I have that support. And I have, um, you know, we are entering a time in society where a strong CNN is crucial. Mm -hmm. And if I could be part of that solution, then how do you say no to that? So for me, it was a very, it it was something made with my heart.
2: So does that mean when he said, I'm not your friend anymore, talk about your power. Who has the power? I mean, obviously David Zaslav has the power, but do you have real power here? Because in order to do that, you have to have the kind of um, sway in order to get things to happen rather than just simple following of orders um, and to protect the newsroom specifically.
5: No, I understand the question. That is not the dynamic of the relationship. This is, and I think if you talk to anyone that works for him, That's not how he operates. He puts people, if you look at every one of my colleagues that report to him, he hires doers, you know, he, he hires people that have actually done the job. You know, he loves the fact that I could be in any control room and produce any show. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did not hire me to take his dictation. Um, And I would not have taken the job if that, if it was that it was like, you have a proven track record. You're a great leader. You have. Uh, experience in news. And I think you can take this organization to where it needs to go. That's the pitch. And frankly, that's how we operate. He calls me um, and nine times out of 10, it's just him like really excited about something we're doing. You know, what's, what, you know, around election, what, what's the latest you're hearing on this? What's going on here? Oh my God, that live shot was incredible. Like he consumes CNN. If all of America consumed as much CNN as David Zesloff, we, you know, would have no problems. Right. He's a, he's an engaged uh, fan of the product, and might have thoughts here and there, but no directives.
2: All right. Is there anything times you had to push back on him?
5: No, because he has not ordered me to do anything
2: except possibly make undetermined cuts. All right, you've got okay. Uh- well, 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 well,
5: well, <laughs> but but I Maybe let, not. Me, let, let me stop you there. All right. If, okay. if if there was a cut that I thought was going to like th- these are my cuts. Right. I own this. This is my strategy. Mm-hmm. And if I thought that there was a cut that somehow I was getting pushed to do something that I thought would be right. in the not in the interest of this company, I would push back hard. Um, and I've not had to do that.
2: Okay. So one of the things you've got big shoes to fill, Jeff Zucker was famously hands-on and still beloved by CNN talent. It's really quite remarkable. I don't want to make this interview compare and contrast, but tell me about stepping into this role, because this is someone who had a very... Um, um, a uh, fan base. I, it, 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 I, I'm trying to come up with the correct metaphor that's not offensive.
5: He was an inc- incredibly popular Popular, leader.
2: popular leader. Tell me about stepping into role when someone was like that, sort of a charismatic leader who had talent, just beloved by talent.
5: Charismatic, um, beloved by talent, but also incredibly hands-on. Very. Um, nothing really happened without flowing through him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not how I operate. And I don't, it's just different. It's not better. It's just a different way of, of operating. Um, when I stepped in, it was not to be another version of Jeff. And so I've had to establish myself and my style. And this is a huge organization spread across, across the globe. And I'm six months in and then, you know, people are still, there's a little bit of muscle memory there, but I stepped into an organization run by a legend, um, someone who I knew very well, another mentor of mine i've known i've known jeff zucker since i was an intern on the today show wow um and he's someone i regularly spoke with so so for me i i stepped in with a humbleness for what he had done and built um but knowing that i had to forge my own way
2: have you spoken to him since you took the gig or before it yes and for what advice or
5: just a private conversation
2: okay not about cnn itself
5: would you want me, if you and I were having a conversation, would you want sure. me to go on a podcast mind. and talk yeah. about what we talked Why
2: about? Why not? Why not? I have nothing to hide. Uh, uh, but okay. I, I, by the way, I
5: don't either. We just, <coughs> yeah. we had a private conversation.
2: Okay. Recently? Uh, this summer. Okay. Um, his desk was famously in the newsroom. I remember visiting it. Um this is something that people mention, and I don't know whether it's a big deal or not. Um, you chose to put your office on the 22nd floor, which is where the executives are in the non newsroom floor. Tell mm-hmm. me why you did that. Cause it, it seems to stick in the cross of a lot more people that I don't know if it matters or not. I'd love to understand why you didn't put yourself in the newsroom.
5: So it's a, it was a very specific choice. I, I, I'm sure it sticks in the craw of a small group of people that were in the vicinity of that office. Um, But for me, I serve this entire organization around the globe and the proximity to my office should not dictate how much access Mm -hmm. you have to the, to the leader of the organization. And quite frankly, um, I think in the old newsroom, it really was, you probably not at Hudson Yards. You probably went to the circle. Yeah. That one really was in the middle of a heart beating newsroom. That's not the situation here. It's in a corner. It's, so it's not as romanticized as everybody says. So for me, I it was it. not a, as difficult of a choice, right? For me, it sends a message that I have to run this entire news organization. And really, it also put the onus on me to go find people and to go to all the different bureaus and go, go places as opposed to having them come to me in my office.
2: Jeff has a look at me character. I mean, like here, over here, I'm over here. Look at me. You seem more um, watch and learn kind of person. Is, is that wrong? Am I
5: getting that wrong? No, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's wrong. And I'm also, I, I in an organization this size, I believe you really have to empower the editorial decision makers. You really, like, you, you, you can't have them just be figureheads that ask me what I should do with everything, right? I love collaborating. I, I love, what should we do about Trump's speech tonight? I love getting people in a room and hearing a bunch of different ideas as to how we should handle it, and then all walking out on the same page, as opposed to me you know, at the top of the call one morning saying, this is how we're doing it.
2: Do you, are you on every call in the morning? Jeff certainly ran the call. I-
5: Jeff ran the call. I do not run the call, but I am on, I mean, unless I have a meeting or something, I'm on the call. I say something at the top maybe at the end if the spirit moves me, but then I, I listen. Yeah. he um, most,
2: I've heard it. He most definitely ran it in a way that he was like, he really did. I was sort of shocked by
5: it. Right. I was and, like, and what look, are you I, making I, the
2: coffee too? I don't I can't. know.
5: Well, he did all the fun stuff.
2: Yeah. That's the fun stuff. Now you're doing the unfun stuff. So let's talk about editorial. Um, I'll come back to some of the financial issues in a little bit, but Can't let's wait. talk about anytime. anytime. Um, John Malone, one of David Zaslav's mentors and a board member, said he wants CNN to become more centrist. This is, of course, well known. I've interviewed Malone several times, many times. Talk about what that means to you. I have a sense of what it means to him, although it's more grumpy, uh, I suspect, um, and I won't go into that. But what is your sense of what that means and what you meant by it?
5: I don't think I've ever described what I want the editorial vision of CNN to be as centrist. Um, I think there is a place for perspective opinion, informed opinion programming uh, in prime time. But I think uh, the day side offering where we are on in congressional offices and lawyers offices and all around the world, we need to report the news and um, push back on Uh, both sides equally, Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, that we, uh, that centrist can be really fit for whatever people's purposes are. For me, it's just take, take the editorial out of how we report down the middle news.
2: Down the middle news, meaning that was happening before in Dayside, correct or
5: not? No, I think what happened is during Trump, um, a lot, uh, certainly the opinion programming, became much more aggressive. And I, I think it seeped into Dayside as well.
2: And you wanted to remove it. So it's just this happened here, this is happening wherever the it news is doesn't mean
5: happened. you have to be boring. That sounds horrible. I would never, that, that what you no, just described that, would never work. I mean, there was, I a, there was
2: a Russian rocket in Poland. That's really <laughs> the news today, I think.
5: Look, I, I I think what we have talked about is if you're going to have uh, a Republican congressman on um, to talk about, like a good example, COVID relief, right? Uh, the Republicans said that this was going to put too much into the economy and cause inflation. And the Democrats said, if you were against this, you hated poor people. And, and I think I, uh, you had to push back on both of those notions. Mm-hmm. And that is what I mean when we say down the middle.
2: Would you have used the term woke, describing the organization? I've heard you've done that many. I know David Zaslav has said that to me. Um, did, did you, do you think that was the case?
5: I would say we just, any news organization, whether it's CNN or anybody, you just have to be aware that your worldview may influence your tone. It may influence what you perceive to be the right thing. Mm-hmm. And you, we, one thing we've done really well since I got here is we've given space to, there are other points of view. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to have one side uh, you, you don't have to book like someone from that side. you just have to have space for the fact that there are people in the country who may not think that and right. again, the analogy I use is you know some people like rain, some people don't like rain, but we're not going to have somebody on who says it's not raining so i don't i don't want this to be misconstrued because this is very important yeah you everyone on all your friends in the cocktail parties might think that rain is awful, but when you have someone on who likes rain you you've, you've got to have you got to take that you know, hat off.
2: I I get the rain thing, but it's not rain we're talking about. It's other things. It's easy to do that. And it's an excellent talking point, by the way. But Chris Karate's over there going, God, why did
5: we do this?
2: (laughs) Do you use the term woke? Do you think it's a real meaningful term? Because I did push back on David Zasloff when he said it to me. I was like, I think it's a meaningless term.
5: I'm not a big fan of the term woke. Um, I I, I like to be more specific. I I think woke is one of those talking point things that I don't like
2: Mm-hmm. So what you want is, like, let's let's bring in lots of viewpoints that are accurate, presumably.
5: I, I don't want us to condescend to a view that it doesn't necessarily fit our worldview.
2: Right. Which I think probably the word is nonpartisan in some ways, in some ways reasonably nonpartisan and pushing mm-hmm. back when things are wrong.
5: Right. and And look, when we, like— when, I'm not afraid for us to call bullshit when we need to call bullshit. And if you look at our election night coverage, we literally labeled people election deniers as, as the did. adjective, just as you would call them an incumbent. I
2: was noticing that, yeah. Um,
5: like, I have no problem with that. Um, I, there was all kinds of you know craziness around the term the big lie. Mm-hmm. I don't like the term the big lie because it's not very specific and it sounds like a talking point. I prefer Trump's lie. Trump's lies about the election. So there's nothing here that suggests that we would pull back or, you know, well, maybe there was lies around the election. Like, that's not what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, I noticed the election denier thing. I found it fascinating.
5: Did you like like
2: it? I thought it was accurate. I thought it was accurate. That's all. It's accurate. And there's no way you could run away from it. I have had many arguments about using the term liars sometimes when people lie and things like that about news organizations. I think you just say what it is. So when you're thinking about this CNN rebrand, what makes you think you can win over conservatives? Because part of it is not having a, you know, we'll get to Fox News in a minute, but they know their audience what? well, let's just say. You're looking for a broader audience. Um, yeah, do I'm... you think you can win over, this election was very interesting. It showed the voters were a lot smarter than any pundit or media person or politician that I could, that I listened to, the voters really kind of went, not down the middle, they took a stand for democracy, for example.
5: Yeah, I'm not looking at it through trying to appeal to more, you know, lean into the left or try to appeal to more people on the right. Uh, I think that that's not a good business model because you're fighting for a bigger slice of a shrinking pie. Like I, I, I don't, you know, the competition for me in cable is not MSNBC or Fox. Hopefully what we're doing is so different and unique that we are attracting people who perhaps have found cable news to be irrelevant in their lives. Mm -hmm. So so the play is to not be offensive to a side, right? Um, And perhaps they will come to us for an unvarnished truth to allow themselves to make their own decisions. And that's a different brand. And my competition is Frankly, Kathleen's, you know, HGTV and Netflix, and you know, that's my. I'm I'm fighting for people's in down news times.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, I'm fighting for people's discretionary attention. Right. And and I I don't believe that the way to the future is to try to steal people from Fox.
2: So wasn't CNN doing that before Trump, and it, the ratings still didn't.
5: Um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know that that's accurate. I, I think um, if you're just doing news, then you know perhaps that's not a winning formula. But if you're widening your aperture as to what could be news, and quite frankly, we have we have the world's leading news gathering. It doesn't always show up on television, right? Mm-hmm. So, so for me, um, I think more like a newspaper where there's a lot of different things in there. It's not just breaking news. It's not just politics. It's not just down the middle. Like, there are really interesting stories happening in America that are becoming more and more relevant in people's lives. And I think that that's something that we can lean into.
2: All right. Your old job as EP of Stephen Colbert, uh, you know, Colbert is very influential in news. Could you inform a broader audience there than you could at CNN? My sons don't watch CNN. They watch John Oliver. And that's where they get their news.
5: But it's not news but it is. It's not. It's it's a
2: point of view and it's pretty smart.
5: It is point of view, um, but I think we're offering something different. And I think um, there are certainly elements of that kind of delivery, right? Not necessarily comedy, but um, if you look at someone like John Oliver or Bill Maher, or, you know, that it's, that, uh, you know, it's informed uh, perspective programming that allows you to make your own decisions and if we're able to talk about really polarizing topics mm-hmm. um, in a way that those guys can, um, then I think that also makes us, makes us different. And so
2: are you going to do a late night show on CNN, like compete with uh, Gutfeld?
5: Um, I wouldn't call him – I would call him just an entertaining show. I would not call him a late night show. As okay. Someone who, as someone who worked on a late night show and knows what goes into that, um, uh, I wouldn't put it he in the same Colbert.
2: category. be <laughs> but go ahead.
5: Are we gonna get into this conversation? No, we're not. Because that's we're not, not just, true.
2: No. Okay. All right. Okay. okay.
5: Fine. I'm still. I'm still gonna defend my friend Stephen. You're good
2: at making these shows. Why not have one there if you're talking about a panoply of things to to give to people?
5: I wouldn't rule out some kind of uh, show that involved people talking in a way that was not delivering news in a straightforward manner. Sure. Oh,
2: that's a nice way. to cut. That sounds like so dull. Okay. All right. Last <laughs> last question on this topic. How will CNN cover the 2024? race under your vision, under the licked vision.
5: It's not the Zaslov licked vision. It's the Chris licked vision.
2: Chris Lick vision. Oh, yeah, let's get rid of Zaslov. That's fine yeah. by me. Okay. Come on. All right.
5: We have fact checkers ready to go. We will put things in perspective. We will not let everything he does consume the news cycle, right? right. There are other things that are important. I think Which one Zucker of the mistakes-
2: Zucker regretted. Zucker
5: regretted. 100%. I think that was, but look, it's not just Zucker. It was everybody. We let every little thing that he did consume- uh, everything that, and so you ended up talking about him for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to do that. We're going to be very um, clear and take everything on a case by case basis about what level of coverage it should be.
2: Mm-hmm. So, meaning that it will not be quite hand waving.
5: We are not going to be a 24 7 Trump news network.
2: Even if he raises ratings.
5: Correct.
0: Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
2: All right, let's talk about programming decisions you made. I want to do this a lightning round so you can get out of here quicker um, if you'd like, but you can stay as long as you like. The first thing you did, CNN Plus, uh, you announced you were shutting down CNN Plus less than 30 days after it launched. The network had already put... $300 million into it and let me make a disclosure. I was offered a a show and I turned it down because I'm a genius. So (laughs) full disclosure. So um, why not give it a chance?
5: Can you imagine how you'd be grilling me today? Yes. If we would be sitting here with a standalone streaming news service Mm -hmm. in the world that we are in that was budgeted to lose hundreds of millions of dollars this year. You would be like, what are you doing? Why haven't you shut it down?
2: Yeah, I didn't quite get it.
5: You know, if you know something is not strategic and you know that it's not going to fit into your broader strategy, then why put another dime into it? And that's not to take away any of the work that was done. People worked really hard on those shows. Yeah. And the fact that they stood up that many shows in that amount of time and, uh, and it looked good and like th- that's not at all a disparagement on people that like the people in this building killed themselves they to did. get that on the air. So it was not an easy decision. But it was, uh, you know, from the standpoint of the people it affected. Um, but it, it, it was a easy decision when it caught, when it comes to the strategy.
2: Is there anything you liked from it?
5: Look, I, I think some of the uh, long-form stuff that Amy did was fantastic. Amy and, and tell some, us. Yeah, and some of it's living on linear.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not Jake Tapper's book club. No. Anyway, we won't go into it. I already teased him about that.
5: You're so cold.
2: I know, but I don't want to know what Dave Taffer thinks about books. Um, Most people, I don't want to hear what they think about books. But that's just me. I've told him this. I've told him this. I enjoy his books. Okay. Okay. One of your first talent hires was John Miller, the former NYPD deputy commissioner. Early this year, he testified at a city council hearing and essentially denied the NYPD spied on Muslims after 9-11. That's misleading at best. Mayor Eric Adams even had to apologize afterwards. If you want the newsroom to focus on getting the facts right, why hire Miller?
5: John Miller... Is without peer as it relates to uh, analysis of crime and anti-terrorism.
2: I was on the show with him. He was excellent.
5: And and he's fantastic. And he uh, he joins that 9 a.m. call. And every time he opens his mouth, he gets booked all day. And I would want no one else sitting on a set in real time breaking news as something is unfolding with him, given the contacts he has all over the country, with law enforcement, and frankly, all over the world. So if you're talking about getting something right, because he has sources like no one else does, you can't do better than John Miller.
2: Okay. Did you talk about the NYPD spying on Muslims after 9-11?
5: Yes. And? I'm, I'm satisfied with his response.
2: Okay. You canceled Brian Stelter's Reliable Sources. It was one of your highly ranked weekend shows. Tell me why.
5: Um, it uh, look, I, I really like Brian. I've known Brian for a very long time. It um, I want to do media coverage in a different way, and I think you you can see we have uh, Sarah Fisher that we just brought over as a contributor uh, who still works for Axios. And my vision for media coverage is that it doesn't really have a place on linear television on a weekly basis. I would rather do media analysis and coverage on our digital platform that reaches 180 million unique users. And when it makes sense to be on television, we put Oliver Darcy on, or we put um, or we put Sarah on. So that that was a strategic. According
2: to Dylan Byers, Brian told friends he considered himself a sacrificial lamb. Um, so he had three years left on his contract, so it wasn't the money. I'm curious why you didn't offer him a, a different day or digital, just like you're talking about.
5: I don't really want to get into the specifics on that, but... Um, uh, I, uh, I don't think that's fair to him.
2: All right. Uh, Jake Tapper moved from four to nine. Now he's moving back to four. This was a temporary thing, but there was an idea that he might uh, move into that primetime slot. Um, what did it not work or, or was it more the personal thing?
5: This was not an issue with his ratings uh, or whether the show was working or not, because it takes a lot longer than a few weeks to understand if a show is working. And I think he did some really interesting things in that short amount of time. And part of the hey, let's try this until the end of the elections was how is this going to affect your life? Like that is a huge consideration. Mm-hmm. And he was very clear that that it was important for him to be home with his family. And like I'm really grateful to him for uh, leaving the, you know, very safe harbor of four o'clock and taking a, taking a chance and and going out and doing this for, for a short amount of time. And it was, I'm, I'm very grateful to him. And there were there was something there, um, but it, it it has to work for for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. And Tapper was also the lead anchor last week on election night instead of Wolf mm-hmm. Blitzer. MSNBC did beat you in the ratings for the first time. I know you don't think ratings in, matter. In but- the
5: total audience, in the total audience.
2: Fox had 7.4 million um, MSNBC, a three point two and you two point six million viewers in the in the overall
5: audience. We, you know, we beat everybody in the younger audience, including all the broadcast networks except for Fox News. You want to beat them overall, correct? I want to beat everybody in every okay. metric for sure. All
2: right. So, um, why do you think that happened? Do you have any clue? I'm not sure.
5: I mean, we we had a we had also had an incredibly big night on digital. We had more than ten million video uh, starts, which is incredible. Um, I. I, I don't know. I, I think it could be a, a variety of things, but I don't think it was our coverage. I don't think it was that uh, the fact that Jake was leading our coverage, if that's what you're getting at.
2: All right. So you moved um, Don Lemon from 10 p.m. and put him on the morning show. We're almost through this. No problem. So far, the numbers are what? How do you? Uh, After a, three weeks?
5: Yes. Um, I am. Uh, we continue to grow. So that to me is exciting. It takes... A very long time for people to even know that we have a new morning show on. That is on. true. So I'm, I'm, but let me, like, I'm incredibly excited about that morning show because of what it is and the impact it's already having and the guests that they book. And so it's, I'm very bullish on that show. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's already beaten some of the competition twice uh, in three weeks. And that's, that's pretty good. So Twice in
2: three weeks. So the yeah. debut show was 387. Thousand. Morning Joe had seven hundred and ninety-three thousand Fox and Friends. Killing. What
5: is this morning? What is this Morning Joe show? I've, too I've bad you left it. it.
2: No, no longer <laughs> yours. I'd le- to give uh, uh, Chris credit, he did was a, a critical force in making Morning Joe as big as it is. But now you have to contend with it. Um, Fox and Friends, of course, has one point five million. Um, first week averaged about
5: three hundred and eighty nine. The first week, the first week it was on the air, Karen. Yeah, come on, right? right? But it was lower on. than New
2: Day. It was lower than New Day, which was four hundred four thousand. I got numbers here, Chris. Right. Well,
5: how, I'm sorry. How long was New Day on? Uh,
2: a long time. Okay. okay. So you're right. going to give it time to breathe, time to breathe. Oh my God. I, yes. I'm just where asking. we are. Where
5: we are right now. I would be thrilled if you told me. that.
2: Okay. What do you think works about it? Why start with mornings when the real ad is in pr- money is in prime time?
5: Well, f- first of all. That is shifting. And second of all, um, I start with mornings because it is a place that can set the tone for the rest of the day. And if you get that right, um, by the end of the day, it actually helps your prime time. And if you have a good prime time, it helps your mornings. So it's incredibly important. And to put the three of them on, like those are three amazing talent that we have. And I'm, I'm, I think for me, it was a no brainer.
2: How did you pick those three to come together?
5: Um, they're actual friends mm-hmm. and they all bring something different to the table, both in their expertise and their demographic and where they come from in the country. Um, yeah. and as you know, what makes or break a show like that is the chemistry. Yeah, I know. So if you know that there is chemistry and look, it's going to take time for that chemistry to actually be on set. And, mm-hmm. um, but if you, if you actually know that the three of them have chemistry and are friends and are good
2: yeah, I'd skip the coffee shop stuff, but that's okay. That's just I'm me. With yeah. I, I, I no, I'm with I'm you. I don't. I'm like, don't do that. Look, don't growing do growing pains. Yeah. Growing. Yeah, beans. yeah. Um, no, it's very chemistry.
5: is very important. Um, you uh, were you, you you helped with the rehearsals. I saw. I did. I was there. I did. You brought your kid.
2: Um, so you know, if you remember back in the day of Saturday Night Live, the j and you ignorant slut thing works really well. Like a disagreement, which mm-hmm. I think I could I could use a little bit more of, which is I think helpful.
5: You could use more disagreement in the morning. Yeah,
2: yeah. Disagreement in the morning, not bad disagreement, not like screamy disagreement. Um, You
5: know what? By the way, that's actually, that's a really fair point. And I think that's one of the things we will get to when they feel more comfortable just being amongst themselves and the mechanics of doing that show. Then you can kind of let down that whole, okay, I'm on TV and how am I, am I interrupting this person? Like that is absolutely a place that that we can get to.
2: So I was just saying in the morning, uh, Fox News, uh, do you consider it a news outlet?
5: You are not going to get me to comment on whether I think (laughs) (laughs) Fox I was not born yesterday. Come
2: okay, on. I well, the day before yesterday. <laughs> How, no. Do you talk to them? Do you talk to them? Fox. Yeah, there was a report that you were going to do a truce. I don't, I don't think that's accurate. No. But, no. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And one thing you said today—the only reason I'm asking—because today in the meeting you said we should not be fact-checking Tucker Carlson, even if he says outrageous things. And some people disagreed because they thought he was a big influence on the Republican Party. But you felt that was sort of a rabbit hole. Maybe I'm no. What I said
5: was, if. I'm okay covering other outlets in a macro way, right? If the president of the United States is sitting in his bedroom and getting policy advice from a cable news network, that is something we absolutely should cover. But what a primetime host says someplace to gin up excitement and controversy, I don't believe that that's something that we should be covering.
2: Fair point. All right, last one, talk about talent. Right now, you have two big holes in 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. Does CNN have any... um,
5: and eleven.
2: And, and eleven. So, um, how do you look at that? Anderson Cooper is probably your biggest star. If I had to pick one, have you they're thought all, they're
5: all? They're all my. The, I know stars,
2: they're all beautiful come. children. I get yes, it. That's right. Um, but how do you fill those two big holes?
5: Uh, carefully and deliberately. I'm not. I'm not going to rush anything on the air. First of all, speaking of Anderson, he's able to go two hours, and I have something really kind of fun and interesting at 10 and 11, which I want to see develop, you know, with Laura Coates and Allison Camerata, and it's more of a panel uh, show, but... Um, I've been on it. Yeah, oh, did mm-hmm. you enjoy it?
2: Yes, yes, it was late. Okay.
5: Uh, it's it is it's definitely late. Um, but we have some very... Look, as you can imagine, these things, you throw a bunch of things against the wall and you see what sticks, and it takes time to really talk to people and develop. And um, so we we have some really exciting, interesting things that I hope will come to fruition and I hope that we'll be able to announce in the not too distant future. But I'm not going to rush something on the air just for the sake of having something at nine o'clock. I really want it to stick.
2: Yeah. And now, have you thought about spending, that would include spending money to lure a big name? Do you have a 100%. Any? 100%. Yes. Can you tell me who that is? I have suggestions.
5: I'm open to any suggestions.
2: I think Shep Smith is really interesting. Uh, it didn't work at CNBC. In that prime time? Yeah, I didn't think no. it worked there, but it doesn't mean it wouldn't work. Uh, Gail King, if I had the money. Gail King. She's tied up. I, I understand that, but, you know, a truck of money. Well, she can't like break that. her
5: contract, Kara.
2: Well, you know, Chris, these things happen. I don't know if you've noticed. I remember that, that David Letterman guy moved around. She's, quite
5: she's too loyal. She's uh, too loyal. Okay,
2: all right, okay. All right, anybody else you want to?
5: No, absolutely not.
2: Would you bring Chris Cuomo back? I would not. You would not. What is the status of that lawsuit?
5: Um, whatever, I don't know. It's not, not part of my world.
2: Okay, all right. Um, let's finish up with business. So you and uh, and also David Zaslav has said you're not worried about ratings. I, why aren't you worried about ratings? I'm not,
5: that that is very simplified. Okay. I don't want. I do not want someone who's producing an hour of television on CNN saying, you know what, I could lead with this or I could lead with that. I'm going to lead with that because it'll get a better number. Right. I want people leading and and stacking their shows in a way based on journalism and what's important. Let me worry about the ratings. Chase mm-hmm. stories, not ratings. Does that of matter? Course we care. Of, cor- of course we care about ratings. It's, it's, Does it matter
2: it, to advertisers? I hear there's a lot of advertisers leaving Twitter. They need a place to go.
5: They need a brand safe place. A brand safe place. <laughs>
2: brand safe place. Um,
5: Which, I, by do- the way, Kara, like, uh, m- one of my pitches about CNN mm-hmm. is that advertisers always want to be next to a cause, right? Customers demand it. Employees demand it. Can you think of a better cause than journalism? So I'm, you know, one of my pitches to these advertisers is be alongside CNN because it's a cause worth getting behind. Journalism, particularly in the time that we are in, is something that your brand should be alongside of. So to do that, I have to make sure that our programming is not hurting the brand.
2: Right. Okay. But viewers matter and ratings matter to you. Okay. Because you can't have a cause with no viewers, presumably.
5: Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm nowhere near heading into the territory of having no yep.
2: Now, no matter what great a job you do, millions of people are likely to continue cutting the cord every year. This is a mm-hmm. secular issue that I've talked about for a long time. Um, but uh, they can't subscribe to CNN Plus anymore. What's the long-term plan for that from your perspective? Because I know it's not your job, but it is your job to think no, about No, of course that. it's
5: my job. Um, but that, that's part of the the vision of what we're working on. So ultimately, the reason why we still invest in the linear product is it does make a lot of money mm-hmm. in a secular declining environment.
2: Yes, less money than before, but yes.
5: S- but still a lot of money. Yep. And what that gives us is time, mm-hmm. right? At a certain point, that linear product may go to a direct consumer product. May- maybe it goes to our combined Warner Brothers Discovery Plus, whatever we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's only a tile with with some of our content. And if some point the economics suggest that it's better for us to be on that platform that has over 100 million subscribers, that's something that we can do like that. Or maybe right. we license the feed to different people. There's a lot of options once the economics don't make sense about being with cable companies. But we have to have a linear product that is vital. And at the same time, we have to engage people on our digital platform and engage with the brand that way.
2: So um, I'm going to wrap this up. Do you think CNN will get sold again? I mean, that's one of the worries with this debt.
5: I genuinely do not think so. You do not think so. Um, and, and here's here's why. Like CNN, first of all, if you talk to David, it is one of the things that gets him most excited about it being part of the company. Uh, CNN, having that company, having Warner Brothers Discovery, he's yep. incredibly excited that CNN's part of it. So he did not buy this company to then sell off CNN. Mm-hmm. Now, the other reason that gives me I've never ever heard it once even whispered. Okay. And you'll say, well, Chris, they're not going to tell you. No, they're not going to tell you. But what I am told is integrate more with the parent company. CNN was set up as a very siloed organization when I got here, right? That could be spun off. People wanted to. Mm -hmm. But everything that I've been instructed on how we're structuring the companies is to integrate more that would thus suggest that there's no plans for it to be sold.
2: Okay. Um, Last question. uh, Two short questions. I want to paint a picture. I know, I know, but I always do. That's my thing. That's my life. I want you to paint three pictures for me three years from now. What's the worst case scenario, the middle of the road forecast, and the best case scenario for CNN? And why should investors bet on the best case scenario?
5: I want investors, the best case scenario Mm -hmm. is that we find an audience with our new programming on linear. That, um, is a resurgence of, um, interest and from outside, just the core people that are already watching us, that everything we do, the morning show and prime time, uh, along with day sides, the Sunday night stuff that we're doing, it all hits. That's the best case scenario from the linear side, from the digital side, all the bets that we're making on infrastructure and engagement and having the website be a part of your life more than just when there's breaking news. Mm-hmm. All of that is firing on all cylinders and advertising comes back.
2: That's your best. Any worst case scenarios? You
5: just refuse to think? Um, the worst case scenario is that um, n- people don't like what we're selling mm-hmm. and um, and people move on. And they the people that we are trying to attract and interact with us Don't like it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that'll be someone else's problem.
2: Yeah. You'll lose your job. Just, you know.
5: Thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Just
2: FYI. Uh, Just call me when that happens or if it ever. Never going to happen. Will you hire me? I don't have a job to give you, but um, uh, (laughs) let me ask you one more question. Uh, Who is your favorite newscaster of the past? I'm just curious. Who's someone that you imprint on? Mine is Ted Koppel and Nightline. Tom Brokaw. Why is that?
5: When I was in fourth grade, I sat in front of a map. And I pretended I was him. And he's just always been a hero of mine. And when I got to know him at Morning Joe, uh, it was an incredible moment for me. And he is someone I had a very, very serious and long conversation with before I left to go to CBS. And I've always just considered him uh, an incredible journalist and and role model.
2: And would he work today? No. Because? No, I
5: think he'd be the first one to tell you that. Because? Um, I think the 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 world has evolved Mm -hmm. right and that's that's okay i think he'd be the first one to say that to you i think
2: yeah okay and you both have great voices anyway thank you chris you've been a really a good fort i think you've 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 given as good as you got i really appreciate it i do
5: this has been great I, i really appreciate it
3: Look at him angling for my job. Do you hear that? <laughs> he wants to work for me. Well, he's a very good executive producer. He huh? is. He is. If you have to replace me with anyone, you can replace me with Chris Lick. Yeah, he's good. He's a very affable fellow. He's so different than Jeff Zucker. So different. Has a really hard job earning trust back at that organization.
2: Yeah, I just think Jeff Zucker spent a lot of time with the talent, and they—it's you know—it's no matter how you slice it, it's TV, and therefore there's a different dynamic than other media organizations and what kind of dynamic a petting zoo well a petting zoo because they live in tv it's the constant edge of insecurity which is is a plague of general media in general but you know he's he's walked into a bad economy a merger that has some real economic issues and uh what are you going to show me sir um in a world where secularly this stuff isn't working anymore so what works and that's hard
3: but he's made a lot of great stuff, so we'll see. I think you're right. The talent really want to be validated, but also there's a huge amount of insecurity at CNN right now, which I can understand. I mean, yeah. people, the network is shifting. There are layoffs when they said they wouldn't be. Yeah, there's a new guy in town. I I completely get the, you know, the challenge he's up against. So he should do more of these. He should come out and talk more outside the organization. I think this was very strategic. I think he's talking to me because he wants his own voice, not his boss's
2: voice or his employee's voice. Smart, smart idea to talk to me, actually. Anyways, Kara, I think you had
3: mentioned earlier that you had a rant for us today. I'm going to have a weekly rant because I think it's very good to have a rant. You should only do them when you're really inspired to do them. I'm always inspired. I could just print the texts you sent me. Could that be the daily rant? That could be the daily rant. In any (laughs) case, I'm going to talk about citizen
2: journalism. The other day, Chief Twit Elon Musk turned his lonely tweets to the media, one of his favorite dunks, and he wrote, As Twitter pursues the goal of elevating citizen journalism, media elite will try everything to stop that from happening. I had to laugh, not because this was funny, it wasn't even a lukewarm burn, but the world's richest man has finally entered a debate that's been going on for a very long time in tech and has been conducted by, I'm sorry to say, far deeper thinkers than this reductive tweeting. I think back to a discussion between my old partner Walt Mossberg and Hollywood legend Barry Diller when Walt likened citizen journalism to citizen surgery because it lacked the rigor needed and all the impulsiveness that could spell danger. Steve Jobs was even more adamant. I don't want to see us descend into a nation of bloggers. I think we need editorial oversight now more than ever. Anything we could do to help newspapers find new ways of expression that will help them get paid, I am all for While I appreciated these more measured attitudes about how important a free and independent professional press was to democracy, I've always been more positive about the idea that more voices on the ground with expertise that has been undiscovered was a good thing. The audience knew things, and this was a medium that allowed them in some way to have a bi-directional relationship with a news outlet. This is enormously valuable. When I started on the Internet Beat in the early 1990s, for example, I put my then-new email at the bottom of my stories, one of the first at the Washington Post newsroom, to do so. But you hear from readers, said my colleagues. Exactly, I replied. I have been heartened and even amazed sometimes by their contributions and have continued to seek out their wisdom today, most recently on Twitter spaces, where I tried to create content that relied on audience being part of the process. I was amazed by the high level of discourse and how many things they told me I did not know and needed to. So it's not a binary choice that leaves us with no nuance. Can we love citizens doing journalism if we want to use that word or just giving information while also decrying those who seem to feed those with poor information diets information that is caloric, toxic, and in a quantity that makes it impossible to stop gorging on? With Musk and others like Carrie Lake, the local TV anchor, who said last week, quote, I'm going to be your worst freaking nightmare for eight years. We'll reform the media as well. We're going to make you guys into journalists again. So get ready. It's going to be a fun eight years. I can't wait to be working with you. Sorry, I will miss that journalism lesson, Carrie Lake. I didn't think you have anything to teach me, actually, but citizens absolutely do have a lot to teach journalists. What I would prefer is not to make it an either-or or to hand a false choice to reporters and citizens alike that there is no middle ground. Stop
3: citizen journalism from happening as if. Since you're so good at reading rants, you want to rant out the credits? I will rant out
2: the credits now. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Kristen castro Rossell, and Rafaela Seward. Rick Kwan engineered this episode. Special thanks to Haley Milliken and Adam Schibel. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, God bless you. If not, he may smite you. Unless you go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Glory will follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.
3: God, does Kara Swisher's work? That is correct.
6: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of.